In the wake of being nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars with last year's Call Me By Your Name, director Luca Guadagnino did something ambitious. He remade another maestro's work, specifically Dario Argento's 1977 giallo film, Suspiria. While that film was renowned for its campiness, Luca has expounded on its witch mythology, and he's here today with us on Crew Call. My first question is, let's go back to when you were 14 and you yeah. first saw Suspiria. What, what, where did you see it? And what's going through your mind? Well, I, I, first of all, I had a revelation about Suspiria when I saw the poster of the movie four years before. I was 10. And I saw this ominous poster hanging on the windows of a closed, a closed theater. It was the famous image of the woman, ballerina, with the severed head and the blood flowing through the body. So that poster, that title, Suspiria, with that strange lettering, really, really stuck on me strongly for all these years. And then one day, so I start to actually look for information about Dario Argento. What is this Dario Argento? What is this film? I had read a lot of reviews about the movie because I had bought books about reviews and stuff like that, no internet at the time, so it was more a, a truly self-taught and really intuitive uh, path through uh, how to get to understand and know more about what I was starting to become a fan of. And then one day I discovered that the movie was playing in Italian state TV. It was the first time the movie was shown on TV. And usually those, the, the most important films were played at like 8.30 in the evening. But in, I, was, I was in Sicily at the time. In Sicily, you eat dinner 9.30. So it was good for me because nobody cared that I was in another room with the door shut watching a movie where people were stabbed in the heart, hanged on the ceiling, blood, the, red, the, the blood was red, like bright and everywhere. And it was, I mean, it was really fantastic because it was like, Everything was possible. And it went for it went for it. You know, like I had seen a few years before Psycho, which was another revelatory experience. Intuitively, I could see the very strong differences in one in Psycho and in Suspiria. Probably I already understood intu intuitively the greatness of Hitchcock, his wit, his intelligence. With Suspiria was another beast. It was more about Everything is allowed. And what was supposed to be fearful for me was an explosion of morbid joy, the kind of morbidity a teenager can have. So it, um, I, first of all, it's very strange for me to keep talking about this in public because it's a very private uh, epiphany. And it's true that I often think about that epiphany and I had a few of them through, through cinema. And I remember when I saw the movie, the obsession increased. I started to be obsessed with Dario. The name Dario Argento was so evocative to me. The movies, uh, the Deep Red was another big revelation. But Suspiria stuck on me in a way that kind of couldn't leave me alone. And I was really obsessed with the movie. And I was obsessed with my remembrance of the film because, again, I could see the movie again a few years later when I had the VHS, but like five years later. 
So for five years, again, I was reenacting the movie in my mind. And I think that led me to the convincement, to the crazy megalomaniac idea that I had to do it again myself. I mean, you have expanded, arguably, the canon here. He had created this thematic trilogy, the mothers, the three, the three mothers. But the thing is, is talk about expand. There's so much more. No disrespect to, El Mia, uh, you know, to the to the maestro, but there's a lot going on in 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 your rendition. Uh, there's there's a political thing. There's a there's a whole retail like the whole symbol symbolism of the witch in the witch uh, mythology is at a, is at a, is at a ten in your film, and it's it's in his movie, but. To me, it's it's like you've built a. This is the beginning of a universe. Maybe someone can say that I'm a little bit uh, self-serious, and you know, I, I read some of these critiques, which is fine. Uh, it's what what could, could come across as self-serious and a bit pompous, and it's more that uh, you know, like I can't help myself. If I see a movie about witches, I start to think of what is a witch. And I start to look for things and I start to under try to understand why exists the concept of a witch. And I discover that the concept of a witch is something that has been uh, very true to the evolution of Europe. And it's not just a fantasy tale. It's true. The Inquisition, all this stuff was a, a, a real, real genocide that happened through 500 years. And it was directed at specific uh, uh, group of people, as we know the Jews, for so long, and intertwined with the persecution of the Jews, there was the persecution of the women. And the women were persecuted because they, and they were indicted as kind of agent of the devil and, 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 and practicing of magic and supernatural because the patriarchal law couldn't stand the fact that there was a group of women gathering together and enjoying each other's company. So that thing had to be kind of painted with the paint of magic and, and evil practicing so that the, the trials of the witches through 600 years, for 550 years, was mostly an execution of hysteria in which the, 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 the lawmakers were really obliging the let's say, subject of their judgment to accept the fact that they were witches. So when I started to think of making my own witch film, I had to think also of the subject, which had to be really active in this movie, couldn't be passively indicted of being agent of the evil, which is what Dario does in a beautiful way. But in Dario's movie, you have an, a, a naive, <laughs> bright-eyed, dancer, American, who comes in the old, rotten Europe, and she has to kill the witches in order to triumph and survive. For my way of being, for who I am, from where I came from, this is something that it was interesting to a degree in terms of the thematics. And that's what happened when I started to talk with Dave Kajanek. We started to think of Again, who is a witch? Why there is a witch? What if a witch is happy to be a witch? What is the dynamic within the coven of the witches? 
and how a cover of the witches that have been living for centuries is confronting with the present time of a given moment in their life, in their very long life. Those were the thoughts and also the fact that Dario Argento's movie was out in 1977 and it was kind of suppressing all the anxiety of the time, the terrorism, the conflict within society, between generations, in a way almost like this paradoxical colors and sounds and horrors in a way where kind of the unspoken subtext coming off from the play moment in which he was doing the film. So we said, you know, again, maybe self-serious way, what if the, uh, let's say, unspoken subtext is lifted out into the surface? Um, and in doing that, of course, uh, we were uh, really enamored with the texture of many of the beautiful intuition of Dario, for instance, the title, Suspiria. Then uh, when he went on to doing Inferno, there is the great scene when uh, uh, Veronica Lazar, at the end of the movie, uh, uh, shows up as the mother uh, tenebrarum or death. Uh, and there is this line when she recalls the name of the three mothers. And we said, we have to have a same kind of uh, evocation of the three mothers. And that's how we lifted that to there. So we, and what was in Dario's terms, something uh, non-programmed, like he made Suspiria, Inferno, and then The Mother of Tears, but none of these movies are really connected to one another and they are an ideal trilogy. They are not a real trilogy. Right. We felt like, why don't we make and give coherence to it within a movie, which maybe depends on how it goes in the theaters, could be followed by another movie and another movie. I don't know. So um, I'm going to dance around here. So when you went to get the rights, yeah. From Dario, yeah. Did did you get it for the entire trilogy or just for the first? Oh no, film? no, for Suspiria. Okay. What was his What was his response when you said, "I want to remake this"? Well, we acquired the rights in two thousand and seven. My brilliant uh, uh, producing partner and best friend Marco Morabito, who I'm proud that was nominated for an Oscar last year with me on "Call Me by Your Name." and has been working with me for like 15 years, spent seven months trying to seduce Dario and Claudio Argento. They had already given an option to the Weinstein, not the Weinstein, the Weinstein when they were at the Miramax. Okay. They tried to make a version of it. I remember the, the, the writer of Shadow of the Vampire was hired to write the script mm -hmm. and they couldn't make it work because they did not understood how to make sense out of witchcraft and dance. And good for me. <laughs> uh, so uh, we went back to them and we insisted and insisted. And then they gave us this, this, this option. And then we went to David Gordon Green to see if David was uh, up for it. And he was up for it. But cinema, you know, you are living Hollywood. So you know how it works. You try to make a movie. You think it's going to happen in a second. And then it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. And then you have to change uh, plan. Uh, but, uh, but And Dario at the time was really never involved, possibly and secretly hoping that the movie was never going to happen. I don't know. But then after two options expired, we actually purchased the rights because we believed in this very much. Um, and then after David's version, unfortunately, didn't come to fruition and I had made I Am Love and I Am Love was somehow a movie that uh, in its own little merits put me in a map and allowed people to think, okay, we could think of financing 
a Luca Guadagnino's version. So I went back to my own original plan to remake the movie. And then I called Dario and I said, can you have dinner? And we had dinner in Rome and, um, and I said, I'm going to make it. And he was very lovely. He said to me, it's fine. I said, what's your, what, what are your advice? Mentor me. And he said, I have no advice. Do your movie. That's what was his uh, point of view. That's Which beautiful. Was, yeah. Because what's, what's interesting, so it's interesting that this happened around 2007 because that's when Mother of Tears came out here. And it was almost like a year afterwards, right? It yeah. Was 2006 in Italy. And um, there was always talk that he might do a prequel to expand. Was that ever was that that ever discussed? You know that Mother of Tears has, be, has been edited by my editor, Walter Fasano, by the way. And the, that Walter worked on the script with Dario on that. Uh, yeah, there was conversations about that with him. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. he had this. I mean, I remember many projects that Dario wanted to make. There was a beautiful project of a of a Jalo murder mystery set in in the Hawaii that he wanted to make uh-huh. uh, that he never made. Um, I was obsessed with him. Yeah, that's beautiful though. That that he would. Yeah. You know, that that it, he gave you he gave you the okay and because that, that's to take on you know to like Scorsese I want to say did Cape Fear well after the original J.D. Original. Thompson yeah, yeah. Like, he made it uh, 25 30 years afterwards yeah it's a movie and, I love and, and, and almost kind of to a certain degree verbatim especially with the music um, even he, he hired both actors yeah the original ones to play two roles that's right that's right um, Gregory Peck and Robin Mitchell. What I love about your movie, style-wise, is it looks like it was a, it actually takes place in the seventies. I have that kind of obsession. I, I when I work on films, I, I tell to all the people I work with, my collaborators, if like I call me by your name was in the eighty-three, I say to them, and my next one, uh, Blood on the Tracks, is seventy-one, eighty-one. My take is, guys, girls, let's make it as if we are in 83. Oh, it's amazing. Let's From... not retrospectively see, to gaze at 83. Let's not make something cinematic out of it, but let's be there. The fashion alone, the, the, the corduroy dresses, you know, with, you know, uh, the, the corduroy... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know um, what overall, you mean. Overall, dress, yeah, dress that. Amazing. Um, That's Julia Persani. You should podcast Julia. She's genius. All of that just and and his I, I understand was different. You know, I it's that that film first of all looked like it was shot in the eighties, the original. <laughs> and then it was obviously done on the set. Um at the the Paulis theaters in Via Tiburtina Rome, yeah. And so um what talk about the the nineteen seventy seven you were talking about, there was a revolution at the time and it was well, very violent and everywhere in Europe there was an upheaval. In part, yeah. And there was in Italy, and there was in it. It's interesting because those were the countries that they they had met fascism in the worst way possible. So there was uh, the leftist terrorism spreading in Italy and spreading in Germany. What was happening in Germany is that these young kids who started to be in revolt, and also uh, some of them who became a part of a group called Bidermeinhof, who were really looking for a sort of upside-downing of the rules of society in order to uh, 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 change the course of things, they were really coming from a very good place. When the Germany was 
defeated during World War II, then of course there was a pact between Americans and Russians to split Germany in two and to, let's say, denazification of the, of the country to happen. There wasn't a true denazification there. Many people who were high, high, high in, 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 in hierarchies in the Nazi Germany were still there. And they, the country for 20 years refused to deal with the past, the recent past and the horrors of a nation. So these kids, they were saying, we, can't, we cannot not confront ourselves with what we did. We have to start the process of mourning and we have to start the process of self-understanding of our guilt. And then this went far with the bitter mind of terrorism. But that was the moment in society where there was this big divide between the generation of the fathers and the mothers and the generation of the children who were fighting to find a, 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 a voice for a, for a national mourning, which happened afterwards, of course. Um, I found that very interesting in relationship with the horrors within the company of uh, the witches in Suspiria. And and to bring it to bring it full circle, that that was never was that ever on his mind? Daniel? Making, yeah, and making. I don't know. Original? You should ask him. I don't know. Because it it just works so perfectly. And in the, I think he embodied in the witches some sort of ghosts of that fascism, like Alida Valli, proto-lesbian, uh, tired uh, uh, mistress who is always speaking with these eyes wide open and very firmly shouting like in the cliche of a of a Nazi of a Nazi woman. Um, I felt I felt he was trying to find that tone. But I thought that to do that, to create a parallel between uh, what happens within the witches and let's say the uh, dynamics uh, of uh, violence within Nazism was wrong. Because I think every dynamic is a dynamic of power, but uh, a, a group of women who decides to gather together, whether, whether if they are practicing evil or not, in general, they are dealing with power within the convent, but also with sorority, you know? So there is, as Masara says in one line of the movie, love in the company. But at what price? Now, the ballet company in Germany. That's what... Dario. We have dance company. We, okay. I made a very clear fact that we did not want to show ballet because... Ballet is the, is the most conservative thing if mm -hmm. you approach dance. But those witches are revolutionary in a, in a way. So they really use ballet to cast spells, sorry, dance to cast spells, but they are trying to find new forms for their spells. So that's why they do avant-garde dancing. But it seems, it, it feels so real like and very believable that there would conceivably be a dance company at that time in Berlin, oh, yeah. that somehow, like the Volk, the Volk dance, that whole, we made clear, we really, Damien Jalek, Tom York, my editor, my costume designer, Julia Persanti, we, and the lighting, of course, uh, Sayun Bu, we all wanted to make sure that what you're seeing is as if you are seeing a company in 1977 performing a piece of dance that has been conceived in 1948. Yes. We could not do it with, if it wasn't as precise. 
and just the whole symbolic meaning of that. Like I could believe a company doing a production like that at that time. Yeah. Is, we was, even hired, Sayumbu and I, we hired a light designer who was doing, in the 70s, was at the peak of his career as a light designer for dance theater, avant-garde. And these old men, like 80-year-old men, came and we said, can you lead this, this choreography as if it's something from your times? He brought his own stuff, his own lighting, nothing contemporary, all from the 70s. Everything you see in the dancing is lit by this wonderful light designer from the 70s. That's brilliant. Because I was going to say, at a certain point, it looked like natural light. But I'm thinking if you're shooting inside, there's no way... No, that was really... a, no, no, that was... Yeah. A, that was... We had natural light coming from some windows uh, because we had created uh, um, some... Uh, how do you say? Some dioramas that were put a few meters away from the windows so that you can have the, the, the daylight coming in. Now, the decision to have Tilda play a number of parts. Tell me about that. Confession, I didn't realize she played the doctor until last night. Oh, wow. I was like... When did you saw the movie? I saw it at least three weeks ago. And why that last night? Because you discovered that she said that she was I was. I was... I was... Go I was I was reading reviews and things and I was just like, oh my God. Like I put down the New Yorker inter the New Yorker review. Which I'm is like, beautiful, isn't which it? Which is wonderful. And I was just like, okay, this is confusing me. <laughs> Telling me that she plays him. And then I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's really, she's... I was... That's kudos to, to Tilda and to Marc Coulier and Fernanda Perez and... And Manolo Garcia, the fantastic uh, makeup and makeup uh, prosthetic team and hair. Um, but the decision to do so, that, I mean, that's, that's... that's I had no doubt about it. I, I knew that Tilda had to play the, the, the id, the ego, and the superego in this movie. So she played all of them. That's brilliant. And only her, she could do it. And it was fun. The, um, now, how does this, in, in your expanding, of, in my opinion, the expanding of the universe, how does this impact... The trilogy, or does it? Have you well, thought about I that? I honestly have, have not thought about the trilogy, also because I am wary of the fact that when I said that I wanted to do a, the, the, the Chronicles of Ellie and Oliver on Call Me By Your Name, I meant it and I mean it and I want to do it and I'd like to do it like for as long as I can. And then I said that, and then somebody suggested that maybe Suspiria is left hooked on a possible sequel. And I said, why not? And then people started to say, oh, my God, this is becoming a sort of uh, delusional director who wants to do sequels of all of his, of all his movies. But the, so I'm a bit shy about Suspiria. Uh, we titled the, the script Suspiria Part One, though. Mm -hmm. That was the title. And until the very last moment, we were. But we, really, we have to see how it plays. And then the decision to to expand it by an hour. I mean, first of all, I love that you did. It wasn't, a, it wasn't honestly, it wasn't like a decision. They say, let's go up longer of an hour. Um, it was a process. And, the, and then the first cut was, as always with me, very long. And I would say very enjoyable because I've been working with such an incredible cast and wonderful, talented filmmakers. And we saw the film, we sat through it, we Ted, 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 
Ted uh, Hope and Scott Founders from Amazon, whom I love, and with my editor and my producers. And we said, OK, OK, now we, we enjoyed it. We now have to find the movie within this long film. And the process went for long. And then we found the movie at one hour and uh, sorry, two hours and 32 minutes. That's where we found the movie. And we all agreed. There was never anybody pushing to say, you cannot make it so long. It has to be shorter because it doesn't fit the canon of horror films or stuff like that. When the movie was found, we were happy with the movie. Now, a year ago at this time, approximately at this time, we're, I'm, I'm thinking you were in post on the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the whole Me Too thing that was going on in the world, which is still going on, did that ever work into your into your creative psyche while you're in the editing room? Well, the, the, the movie is the outcome of what the, me, David, Dilda, Walter, Dakota, Jessica, Imbal, all the people made the movie. We made the movie we wanted to make, and I always dreamt of making the movie, and we spoke at length about the concept of a witch before. So, uh, like, uh, I, I believe, for instance, much, much cinema is made with the criminal assumption of a sort of mindless sense of misogyny being played out often. And, I'm, and, I, and that's something that disturbs me a lot when I see movies. And I have been in juries in which I was saying, we can't take in consideration this movie because it's misogynist. And people were saying to me, oh yeah, but that's a judgment that should be not be part of the idea of how you see a film. And I said, no, it is. It is because I think movies free your mind and misogyny doesn't. So I have that attitude and it happens that the movie was finalized and is coming out in a year that was a sort of revolutionary year for the general consciousness of what does it mean, a relationship of power between people and in particular toward women. But I would say a relationship of power in general, as we have seen, sadly, in certain cases. So uh, uh, definitely I, I hope that this movie comes across as a relentless ode to the great and tremendous power of womanhood. And I hope that in this movie, you feel that there are no victims with, despite the fact that there is a lot of violence at play. Um, you mentioned at London Contenders that you were gonna take a little vacation. I wish, yes. Um, but I'm, we're really curious what your next project might be that you're prepping. Of course, we've 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 heard "Call Me by Your Name" part two, but is is that? I'm I'm really really enjoying scribbling ideas, chatting with Andrea Asiman and with Walter Fasano, because it, me and Walter we worked hardly on the script that uh, they that uh, Mr. Ivory had written and that uh, eventually became the shooting draft. Um, but nothing uh, yet uh, very uh, on the page. I haven't opened yet uh, the final draft file. Um, no, I really, I need a holiday. I truly need a holiday. I think I, I challenge myself to make two movies in the same year and to promote two movies almost in the same year. 
because I was uh, here at the Oscars in March and we are still in the same year. So I, I do believe a holiday is worth it. I have, I, I mean, it's a new, it's something that broke a new, the news that I'm, I'm working on a project with Richard Lagravanese from Bob Dylan's album Blood on the Tracks, and I'm, I love it. I think Richard is fantastic. Maybe we'll see. Excellent, excellent. Um, I wanted to talk as as we close it out. I wanted to talk a, a bit about um, the the Italian film industry. You were mentioning that um, you went to film school. Tell those I that I never made to, film school. Okay. I, I cinema studies. I studied cinema like uh, theory, theory of cinema mm-hmm. and history of cinema. I the, never your studied. Thesis was on Jonathan Demme. Yes. Yeah. To whom this movie is dedicated. Um, um, I I never made any film school because I I met uh, at the age of twenty the fantastic, incredible filmmaker uh, Jean Marie Strobe and. Uh, to a direct question I asked him, which was the best film school to attend, he looked at me and said, you're crazy, you shouldn't do any film school. And that made a great impression on me. And I said, okay, I'm not gonna do it. And I didn't do it. Everything I did, I self-taught myself. I, I through the process of watching films, reading books about cinema, particularly reading and listening to interviews to filmmakers, I made my way through how to make a movie which I think still is the best way, to be honest. Um, and in doing so, intuitively, with a lot of faux pas and mistakes, I have crossed now almost 25 years in this business. And I never particularly did so by dealing with the industry of Italian cinema. I, I, I remember that uh, my first feature film was produced by someone who owned the rights of uh, motion pictures to be screened on TV. So this guy had these deals with TV stations and he could get, find the money to finance this movie, but he wasn't a film, a producer. The second movie I did was produced by uh, this young couple of aspiring producer who have found money elsewhere than the Italian industry. My other movie, Melissa P., Nobody wanted to touch it in Italy, despite the fact that the book was had sold like three million copies. So it was a very like intuitive idea to do it into a film because you know, like big selling movie, a book that means potentially a big success. Nobody wanted to touch it because it was about a girl coming of age through sex. It was a bit prudish. So we found money here because the movie was fully financed by Sony Europe which is, of course, backed by Sony America. Um, and then I Am Love was a collection of, 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 I became producer, I produced the movie, we had money from the state, we had money from five uh, private financiers, Biggest Splash was French, Studio Canal. Call Me By Your Name is French, Brazilian, with some money that we found in Italy, but not from the sources mm-hmm. of, of production in Italy, and Suspiria is fully American. Do you think things will change in Italy, ultimately, where more funding will come out of there for theatrical releases, or? I am a little bit, I must say, I'm an optimist, and I am the first to say we are going to overcome the difficulties. 
but I find I found difficult for me to have this optimism when it comes to the way in which cinema is perceived in Italy. Mm -hmm. A recent study said that three people out of ten consume cinema in Italy, which is a dramatic number. Also, the 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 way in which films are financed has become more and more difficult in Italy because the theatrical experience is not any, any more as important as it was, so it's difficult to find source of finance. Medusa, which is the company that Berlusconi made, has almost reduced to few films a year when he was a very important company doing a lot in the past, probably because Berlusconi decided to tame down that kind of business for himself while he was after he after he came out of, out of power in Italy, Rai is uh, still financing, but in a way, and I have to say, delicately, there is a pattern of film that are coming out of the Rai cinema enterprise that are all similar. But the power of cinema, the power of this industry where we are right now, or even French industry, is the possibility, the various possibilities. There is a wide array of films that can be made. Last year at the Oscars, the Best Picture nomination had a tiny movie that we made out of Italy and tiny movie with uh, Seosha Ronan, with a female director, first time director who was an actress. Uh, a tiny uh, horror movie produced by uh, Blumhouse that went on becoming a social phenomenon. And then you had a very important uh, British production, uh, The Darkest Hour, and so on and so on. You had a lot, you had a lot. The scenario was wide, varied, a lot of films that could be uh, made into different narratives and productions. Italy is not like that, unfortunately. And the studios, you know, have, have difficulty there with their major stuff. Like for them, the market has always been a challenge versus Germany or France. In Italy, right? Yeah. Germany, France, Spain, always slam dunk markets for any kind of Hollywood, you know, event blockbuster or something. Italy's always... It's a bit provincial, Italy. And I think it's a a really provincial place in terms of how you perceive uh, what is happening in the world, you know? Like in Italy, a towering uh, comedian like Will Ferrell is not as important as in the rest of the world. And yet the comedies that Will Ferrell has made has been so precise in how made us laugh of our uh, weaknesses uh, and the way in which society changes, you know? And as if we are left deaf, we, we can't hear or see us at things. And filmmakers, I mean, there are many good filmmakers, many good filmmakers, but uh, I'm 47 and uh, I been meeting a lot of people throughout my life and I've been mentoring people often with the Italians is like try not to self-censor yourself there there to think it's difficult to find people that are eager to dare to think but I'm sure there is a girl out there and a boy who is going to make a great film soon in Italy because I have faith in cinema <laughs>